thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. We are so glad that you are here together today. We get to make much of Jesus. And I want to say a special word to so many who are out on spring break today. Uh, we miss you and have a great time. And next time, take me, okay? And just next time, I want to go and be a part. But so glad that so many are with us today. I've loved this series we've been in uh, for a few weeks now. Ask me a question. And, uh, man, I think God is bearing a whole lot of fruit through it, but... This is our last Sunday as we V-line towards Easter, and back, or actually near the summertime, we're going to do our best to pick back up with this series, because there's still a lot of questions you have asked that, I mean, we want to go and we want to answer through biblically. So today, as we end up our series, uh, we actually don't end with a question at all. Really, it's just a sermon to, uh, to cap off what's been a tough week in the life of our community. And it's just been a hard week, hasn't it? For the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the second coming of Jesus. We're reminded that the sky is not falling, but the sun is coming. We're reminded that the prayer and the cry of every believer's heart is Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. You know, the sky may not be falling, but the fires are still burning in our community. We have seen fear and sorrow multiplying. But we've also been reminded of just how special this community really is. For out of this tragedy, we look no further than the brave men and women who serve as first responders, who have put their very lives on the line to preserve and to protect both life and property. We're reminded of really what kind of great community we live in. I had the opportunity this past week um, to meet with one of our fire chiefs and assistant fire chiefs and their staff. And on your behalf as a church, as I was driving up there, they invited me to come. And, and as I was driving to them, I uh, mean, what can I say to them? I'm going to pray scripture over them and I, I'm going to pray for them. But what can I really say to them? And I said three things. Number one, I want you to know this, that God is for you. Number two, the people are with you. <laughs> And number three, our community needs you. And I got a chance to pray over them. And, and even as we sit this morning, our heroes are out there continuing to contain and to fight wildfires in our community. You know, the other night we were over at Pastor David's house the night of the fires. And um, he lives at a place in Pigeon Forge and has a cabin business that we were able to go to the top of the ridge and actually see uh, the fire there in Wears Valley, and uh, just prayed with Pastor David. It was about midnight, I believe, if I remember right, and, and we prayed over him and his, his home and his business, but we also prayed for our community and so many in the path of the fire, and, and I got home. It was about 1 o'clock, and I, I'd fallen asleep, and then around 1.30, my brother, who lives in Seymour, of all places, calls me and says, hey, Ann, I just got an alert, and just down the road from me, they're evacuating a neighborhood. And he goes, I'm, I'm disoriented. What is happening? I said, man, we just saw that fire from a ridge over in Pigeon Forge. I said, are you sure it's that close? He said, yeah. I said, well, let me, let me just drive over. I said, I was just up. I'm going to hop in the truck, and I'm going to drive down Chapman. And, and you know what? You get up. You get ready a little bit. 
and let me just see how, how, how close the fire is. And so I drove down Chapman Highway, and, and I got across Y Road and into a couple side roads. I had no idea where I was, but within just a few miles of my brother's house, I came upon the fire. And I drove to his house and said, man, listen, I know you're not evacuated yet, but you've got a young family, you've got power, and you don't have the scary alarm going off just yet. So let's just get you to your in-law's house. And, and so we did that in the middle of the night. So finally around 5.30 in the morning, I got home, and, and around 5 or 5.30, and, and I, I lay down in bed next to my wife. All our kids were in there. And uh, right before I fell asleep, I, I found myself doing something. I, I do sometimes, but not often. I just found myself laying there longing for a city that fire will never touch and where there'll be no more night. And I just laid there for a few minutes and thought through what a city that will be, what a day that will be, and I fell asleep. You know, I got to thinking today, although this is not where I was planning on going, what would it be if just for a few moments you and I took a glimpse into that city? So if you have your Bibles in Revelation chapter 21, uh, would you turn there with me? And by the way, no judgment. It takes me an entire week to prepare for a message. I've only had hours, and so here we go together, okay? As we begin to study God's Word. This wasn't what I planned to preach, but I will tell you this. It really is what I... I feel impressed to preach on today. As you turn there, in Valladolid, Spain, it's actually the place that Christopher Columbus, the, that great explorer, would ultimately die. In this region of Spain, in 1506, as Christopher Columbus died, those in the following generation decided to put up a monument commemorating this explorer. Perhaps the most interesting feature of this memorial is a statue of a lion destroying one of the words that had been part of Spain's motto for centuries. You see, before Christopher Columbus made his voyages, the Spaniards thought they had reached the very outer limits of the earth. Thus, their motto was Ni plus ultra, meaning this in Latin, no more beyond. Now we look at this statue and here's a, here's a picture of it and here's the lion and what you find at this statue commemorating Christopher Columbus is the lion is tearing away one word in that centuries old motto. That word, knee, which means no. Making the motto of the Spaniards now plus ultra, meaning this, more beyond. More beyond. You see, Christopher Columbus, his voyages had thus indeed proven that there was more beyond. You know what I begin to think that in all of humanity and all of us here today, no matter even what you believe, there is this feeling, there is this sense that there is more beyond for us. That there's got to be more than this moment, more than this life, and more than even this earth. There is more beyond. And why is it that we sense that? It's because God created us for eternity. We are eternal beings. 
sins. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible reminds us that he has also set eternity in their hearts. He has set eternity in our hearts. The Bible is clear, church. You ready? There is more beyond. More beyond this moment. More beyond your life. And more beyond this old, this old world. There is more beyond. You know, I heard the story once of a little girl who was taking an evening walk with her daddy. As she gazed into the sky, the night sky, she would see the stars and the moon and just seemed to be blown away by it all. She tugs at her dad and says, Daddy, if this is what the wrong side of heaven looks like in its beauty, what must the right side of heaven look like? In fact, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He would share the sentiment. He would write, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Billy Graham, the great evangelist who spoke to more people in person than any, anyone else in all of history, said this. Even when we allow our imaginations to run wild on the joys of heaven, we find that our minds are incapable of conceiving what it will be like. And you say, well, Anthony, why today? Why is it important that the church take a glimpse into heaven? Why is it that we look towards and we look forward to a place, a city called heaven? Well, Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, He says this, listen church, your citizenship is not on this whole earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. And watch this as we've been talking for the past couple of weeks. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us this whole earth is not our home. And by the way, Maranatha, Jesus is coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author in Mere Christianity, wrote this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Oftentimes I'll hear this, and I I don't know where this came from, but a saying would say this, now you be careful because you can become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. By the way, never met anybody like that, okay? So you and I, we're okay. But are we really heavenly minded? You know, part of being an effective follower of Jesus Christ is to realize, church, there is more beyond. This whole earth is not our forever home, and Jesus is coming soon. So what will heaven look like? What will this great city look like? What will be there? And I got to thinking perhaps the best way to answer that question is by telling you about three things that won't be there. Those three things that won't be in heaven, number one, there's no more sea. Number two, there are no more tears. And number three, there's no more light switches. I'm going to tell you that's a pretty bad point title but we're going to unpack it here in just a few minutes. So let's begin here. What won't be there? And the Bible teaches us, number one, that there is no more sea. 
Now John, the the writer of Revelation, would say this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He gets a glimpse at this city. For the first heaven had passed away. And watch this. There's no longer any sea. Here we have a new heaven and a new earth. And although we don't know every detail of heaven, John notes that there's no longer any sea. Isn't that interesting? Out of all the descriptions of what he has just seen, why is it that he would, he would point out that physical description of no sea? Well, you know this well, right, from science. The earth, its surface is covered 71%. Covered with water. In fact, of that 71%, 96.5% of the water on earth is found in our oceans and our seas. And that's a, that's a whole lot of water. But what did that mean to John? Why did that matter to John? Well, we realize this, that under the rule of the Roman emperor, Domitian, John was exiled to an island by the name of Patmos. Now, this was a prison for John, not made of center block walls. But Patmos was a prison whose walls were that of water. You see, he was exiled from all that he had loved and he loved to do by a sea that separated him. And you say, well, how did John get there? Why is it that he is being punished? Why is it that he is being exiled? There we find out in Revelation chapter 1 that John answers this. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, why was he there? Because he loved Jesus. Why was he there? Because he just couldn't shut up about Jesus. And there he was, exiled, on an island in a prison whose walls were made of water, the water of the sea. And you know, you think of how John must have looked out of all that he was separated from and how daunting that sea looked to him. Even in the first century, the sea was the final frontier. It wasn't space. There was so much unknown about the oceans. There was so much unknown. They knew that people would go out and they would never come back. They heard tales of terrible sea monsters. There was so much uncertainty and fear wrapped into the sea. And John takes a look into this new heaven, into this new city, and he looks at it and says, hey, there's no longer any of that. There's no longer any sea. No wonder the physical feature first noticed by John was the absence of the sea. You know, I got to thinking, if the Lord would have had you and I write out Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, which by the way, he doesn't. But what if? He allowed you and I to take pen to paper and to describe one thing that isn't there. What would you and I write? There I saw a new heaven and a, and a new earth, and there was no longer any wildfires. There was no longer any divorce. I saw a new heaven and a new earth and and there was no longer any cancer. No longer any dementia. No longer any disease. 
And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no longer any depression. There was no longer any loneliness. There's no longer any hurting or, or pain. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no longer any longing, no longer any abuse, no longer any COVID-19, no, no longer any fear, no, no longer any anxiety. How would you write that verse? And maybe, just maybe, you can grasp today the depth by which, the importance by which John would write, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no longer any sea. And I don't know about you, believer, but thank God there's no more seas in heaven. But not only was there no more sea, but the Bible teaches us that there are no more tears in heaven. In Revelation 21, 4 through 5, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. No longer any sea. And there's no longer any tears. Did you know that the God who created you and the very God who created the universe cares, numbers, and remembers every tear you have cried? Watch what David wrote in Psalm 56, verse 8. He says this to the Lord. You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. That phrasing there, tears in your bottle, means this, that God who created you he cares for you, he has numbered, and he has remembered every tear that you, that you have cried. You ready? It's the reminder that God never wastes our pain, not even a single tear. You know what? It means he's seen the tears you've cried that no one else has seen. He has heard your cries, when no one else was around to hear them, when no one else was listening. He has understood your tears when no one else could. And know this, that he never grows tired of your tears. And yet he gives us enough strength to make it to the day where he will forever wipe away any and every tear from your eyes. I don't know about you, but I read a verse like that. Living here on earth still. But you know what? I, I'm tired of the old way of sin and death. I am tired of the old way of sin and selfishness and pride. I'm tired of how this old world works. I'm tired of old hurts. I'm tired of old pains. I'm tired of old demons. And I'm reminded as John gives us a glimpse into heaven, that there's good news for those whose lives are filled with bad news. That there will be no more tears. Why? Because he is making all things new. In 1971, long before any of us were born, uh, John Lennon from a southern gospel group called the Beatles 
uh, he wrote and sang a song entitled Imagine. And in that song, in the first lyrics, he asked us to imagine there is no heaven. No thanks. You see, John the Revelator helps us as our imagination gives way to the incredible reality of heaven, a place with no more sea and no more tears, and yes, no more light switches. By the way, when you study how to preach a sermon, this is a terrible title for a point. Terrible. A terrible title. But hear me, church, an incredible reality. For the believer. Watch this in Revelation 21, 23, and verse 25. The city of heaven, it does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Watch this. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. In verse 20, 25, for there will be no night there. As I stood at David's place, we were out on Pastor David's front porch. And man, we're just taught the wind was whipping, the night was dark. But as we were sitting there on his lit up front porch, all of a sudden his power goes. And sparks take to flying from one of them light poles. And we were in complete darkness. David and I and Laura were perfectly fine. Pastor Dominic crawled in a fetal position and started sucking his thumb. Anyway, so we're standing there. Man, and I'll, I'll never forget as I drove down Chapman Highway later that night. And I got up right near the fire, honestly, by accident. I, I turned a corner, and there, there it was. I'll never forget just how dark the night was. I'll never forget the eerie look of a red glow on the low clouds. I'll never forget how hard the wind blew. I, I'm not a fan of the dark. Uh, my, my little boy Bennett, who by the way he turns four years old today, this is us last night over there at that ice cream place and I didn't eat a lot. Anyway, so he was there and, um, and, and we, we were, he was sitting on a tractor and, and I love my boy whose birthday's today and, and uh, but I'm going to tell you something he can't do. He can't do darkness. He, he can't do it. Uh, when we put him to bed at night, we put him in on his bunk bed like, he's got Spider-Man and Captain America there and all the blankets that correspond and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you, before we leave the room, we've got to turn on, we've got to open his closet doors, we've got to turn on the lights, we turn on two lamps, and then we turn on two night lights that are plugged into the wall, and as we leave, we turn on the hall lights because he just don't do the night. He just doesn't do darkness. He just can't bring himself to do it. You know... One of the best ways that I share the gospel, even with my little now four-year-old boy, is to remind him that, Bennett, if you'll follow Jesus, there will be a day where there's no more night and no more darkness because Jesus will be all the light you ever need. Hey, and Bennett, guess what? Even today, Jesus is all the light you ever need but I still turn on all the lights in his bedroom as I leave, and he just doesn't do the night. I heard the story of another four-year-old little boy. He was in the kitchen as his mother was making supper, and she said to her little four-year-old boy, hey, son, I want you to go to the pantry, and I want you to go get me a can of tomato soup. And he's like, Mama, no. 
She said, well, what's wrong? He goes, it's dark in there, and I don't want to go in there. And she's like, son, it's okay. I Just go to the pantry and go get me a can of tomato soup. And he said, mom, I can't do it. I, I just, I can't do it. And she said, son, and she spiritualized it. Son, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. Just go get a can of soup. And so he walks over to the pantry. He begins to open the door, and he realizes it's still dark in there. And then he had a thought, a moment of brilliance. He opened the door and said, hey, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me a can of tomato soup? And, man, I love it. He just doesn't do dark. And to be honest with you, not a whole lot of us do well with the dark. You know, one day, the light of Jesus will chase away every ounce of darkness, and darkness will be no more. Here's what I know to be true, because I've known it in my own life. Many of us in this room know what it's like, even in Christ, to feel surrounded by darkness. Some of y'all have lived and survived or are very much in right now the darkest of nights. Man, it is, it is tough and it is hard. And then we begin to realize this. That Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, that, that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We realize this through the teaching of God's world. The light of the world is not only with us, but he is in us. And one day, the light of the world will be the only light you'll ever need. Meaning this, you won't need a light switch in this city or you and I are going. A famous preacher by the name of D.L. Moody would write one day in his Bible, he's a preacher from a generation ago, already at home with the Lord. He wrote this in the margins of his Bible, and it's a poem. And here's what he said. The light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The melody of heaven is the, is the name of Jesus. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus. The fullness of heaven is Jesus himself. And that is the very one who lights up the entire city. I love this in Revelation 21.3. John says, and I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. I, I want you to hear me, church. As we speak of this city, as we speak of this heaven, heaven, what makes heaven heaven? is the presence of God in the person of Jesus. Heaven is not just some, a, a someday destination. It is today's reality for every believer in Christ. Because of Jesus, you and I in this moment have the very presence of God and the person of Christ in us. And so you know what that means? That even in an old earth filled with darkness, we don't have to walk in it. We don't have to be lost in it. That you and I can know and live out heaven on earth because we have Jesus. Because we have him. 
Some people are like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because that's when eternal life begins. No, hear me, church. Eternal life begins. Your eternal life begins the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus. It's what the Word of God teaches us. I've heard it said this way. Human history started with the garden and ends in a city. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1. In Revelation 21-1, there is a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis 1-5, God says he calls the darkness night. And in Revelation 21-25, there shall be no more night. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, sin brought death. In Revelation 21-4, death will be no more. In Genesis 3-1, Satan appears as a deceiver. In Revelation 20-10, Satan disappears forever. In Genesis 3-13, we see a battle is won by the serpent. But in Revelation 22-3, we see the triumph of the lamb. In Genesis 3-16, sorrow and tears were multiplied. In Revelation 21-4, we will sorrow no more. In Genesis 3-24, sin drove man from God's presence and in Revelation 22 4 we for all eternity shall see his face see his face and so one day there will be no more sea and one day there will be no more tears and one day no more light switches to turn on Focus on the family shared a story about a five-year-old little boy who will never be forgotten by those who knew him and took care of him. A nurse by the name of Gracie Schaefer took care of this little boy in the last days of his life. He was dying of lung cancer at such a young age, which is a terrifying disease in its final stages. I have been with many believers in their last moments dying of lung cancer. And it is, it's hard to see. In fact, lung cancer fills a person's lungs up with fluid. The patient's unable to breathe. It's terribly claustrophobic, and especially in a young child. This little boy had a Christian mom who loved him, who stayed by his side. Until the very end, she cradled him in her lap and and she would just softly talk to him about the Lord. Instinctively, she was preparing her son for his final moments. You see, Gracie Schaefer, the nurse, shared that she had entered his room as death was drawing near. And she heard this little boy talking about hearing bells. The bells are ringing, Mommy, he said. I can hear them. Well, this nurse, Gracie, thought he was hallucinating because he had already begun the process of of slowly beginning to die. And so she left the room, and when she returned, again the little boy was talking about hearing the bells ringing. Like he could hear them ringing. The nurse trying to comfort the mother Gracie said to the mom, listen, just so you know, 
It's not outside the realm of possibility that as people begin to die, that they begin to hallucinate. They begin to see things and hear things that aren't there. And just so you know, that's probably what's going on with your son. But the mama said, oh, no, ma'am. And she pulled her son closer to her chest. She said, no, ma'am. I told him when he was frightened, when he couldn't breathe, if he would listen carefully, the mama said, He could hear the bells of heaven ringing for him. And she said, this is what he's been talking about all day. And Gracie shared that that little boy, later on that evening, died in his mother's arms. The whole while, talking about hearing the bells of heaven ringing until the Lord called him home. As you and I walk this earth, may the sound of heaven flood our hearts and our minds. May it remind you at the very sound that this earth is not our home. There is more beyond. And that one day there will be no more sea. And one day there will be no more tears. And one day there will be no more light switches. But until then, follow Jesus even through the seas. Shed your tears and as scripture calls us to, walk in the light as he is in the light. And may the sounds of heaven never escape us. You say, well, Anthony, I'm a believer. What good does taking a glimpse into heaven do for me? What challenge can I leave the room with? Well, also in Revelation chapter 21, we apply a little bit of mathematics to the dimensions of this new heaven where we will dwell with the Lord forever. And here's what we realize, that the new heaven is a city that is 1,400 miles wide, that is 1,400 miles in length and in depth. In fact, this new city of heaven is in the shape of a cube. If you were to impose this new city on a map, it would stretch from Mexico to Canada, from the Rocky Mountains to the Atlantic Ocean. You're talking a lot of acreage. And also this, it's as long as it is high and wide. It's a perfect cube, which is the shape of the most holy place in the temple the very place you and I will dwell with the Lord forever. So let's suppose this. In a city of heaven that size, let's just say this, that 20 billion people by faith through God's grace will enter that city. By the way, I'm one of those. 20 billion. Now, let me remind you. Jesus would say, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to him, and few enter it. But let's just say 20 people make it into this city one day. Do you know what that means? that each one of us would have 75 acres of land in that city. I got to thinking about my 75 acres, what I want to do with it. And I got to thinking this. I don't need it. I don't need 75 acres. I need you to be there with me. I I need my boy Bennett, when he's old enough, to give his heart and his life to Jesus. I I need him on that 75 acres. I I need 
I need Sevier County with me in heaven. I'll give away all my acres so that every lost person in this community would be in that city with me one day. Hey, I'll give it all away for the 3.2 billion people on the planet today who've never heard the name of Jesus. I'll give it all away so that people could one day be in a city with no more sea, no more tears, and no more life switches. That they could know eternal life now in Jesus. What are you going to do with your 75 acres? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.